0: known by his German mother as little Daphid. Can you say that name with me? Daphid. Daphid. She would say, oh, Daphid. Daphid. Daphid was an adoring boy, but he was always getting into trouble. One time Daphid became unconscious because Daphid was getting high off of sniffing the gasoline tank on his dad's car. That's how he'd get high. As There weren't drugs around at the time. That's how he'd get high. Daphne had an anger management problem. A terrible temper. One time he had a fight with his sister and he picked up his sister to throw her down the stairs. Just then his father caught him in the act of throwing his sister down the stairway and he took one look at his father and took one look at his sister and said it's worth it and threw her. He got in a fight with a Golden Gloves boxer and his temper was so bad, his anger was such a problem that he beat the Golden Gloves boxer to the ground, then pounced on him, strangled him so much that the boy swallowed his tongue and Dolphin had to reach in and pull his tongue out so he could breathe. He said, preacher, man, what a terrible way to start a sermon. Hang with him." age 16, Dauphin, while his dad was preaching, would always be behind the church smoking while his own father, the pastor of the church, would be preaching. Deacon's kids would come out and say, come on, Dolphin. Get, get in the, the service and he cussed them out. Dial language. At his 16th birthday, he didn't show up. At his own birthday party, he didn't show up. He poured gasoline across the road and saw a car coming and lit the pathway of gasoline and the car that went through the flames turned out to be a police car. Wrong car. He spent his 16th birthday in jail. His father came in and said, leave him there. But Daphne had a mother. Service, when there was time for prayer, she would crawl under the grand piano, and that would be her point of intercession, and she prayed for her daffod to get right with God. And God heard that prayer. And Dauphin can tell you on a certain day when he was walking on a sidewalk in Bad Axe, Michigan. God said, you're going to go to hell. Come get right with me. And he got right with God through his mother's prayers. But Dalfin had had such a problem with his anger and his sins that he had failed his ninth grade year at school. He changed schools. He got a brand new teacher who took interest in him. And this teacher took time as an encourager and really focused in on his terrible insecurities and feelings and inadequacies. And Dauphin would later look back and say, two women changed my life. My mother and my ninth grade school teacher changed the course of my life. Years later, when he returned to Bad Axe, Michigan, Dauphin stood up before a company of people, now Dauphin is 70 years old. And Dauphin said, two women changed the course of my life, my mother and my ninth grade high school teacher. And a little frail, 90-something woman stood up and said, I was that woman, your school teacher. Two women to change the course, the destiny, of a soul, a life. Daphne, as many of you know, is my father. Because of those two women, I stand before you here today. Think, think, Think of the impact that one life can have See, you were not created without purpose. You were not destined to just take up space and be a taker instead of a giver. You have been designed purposely by God to make an amazing difference in the lives of others. Oh, We, we rub shoulders with people all the time that want to be a success. And whether it's Elvis Presley or... uh, Miley Cyrus
1: they can have all the fame they can have all
0: the money they can enjoy all the popularity and the pleasure and they come up empty success will often cause you to come up empty but God has not designed you for success God has designed you for significance when you can make a difference in a person's life in the here and now. And the greatest difference is the eternal difference. When you make a difference in someone's life for the hereafter. When you become a soul. A soul. Now God, God will not judge you in eternity. On the number of souls that you've won for him. But he will judge you. On being a witness. A faithful witness. Have you in your attitude? Have you in your words? Have you in your actions reflected Jesus? Have you witnessed of the love and the life of Jesus? I want you to know that this is not, this is not just a calling. It's a command. Will you doubt me? Let's look at it. The Bible, real quickly here, Matthew 28, verse 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on. You will be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Matthew 5. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Proverbs 11. And he that winneth souls is wise. Mark 16. Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to all creation. Luke 24. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed. the authority of his name to all the nations. There it is. Colossians 4, 6, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Jude 1:23. save others by snatching them from the fire. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. And Peter said, You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. Why? That you may proclaim the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You have been designed, you have been destined to be an incredible witness for Jesus. For Jesus. Coming up on your calendar for Lakeside, because it's my part as a pastor to provide these opportunities for you. If I don't, if I don't, if I don't provide these opportunities for you, I fail as your pastor. I fail to fulfill the purpose of the church and the command of Jesus Christ. What am I talking about? We are offering the next several weeks, amazing, incredible outreach opportunities. Homecoming Sunday. It's more than a fellowship Sunday. It's an outreach Sunday. Invite your lost, unsaved friends and loved ones to homecoming Sunday, uh, the gas station outreach. You can impact the entire community. I mean, the news media picks up these kinds of things. Let me tell you, we don't do it to show off, we don't do it. Uh, you know, to give people just free gasoline. We're doing it to touch lives with the love of God and to be able to share with car after car after car. It's the most amazing outreach opportunity I've ever been a part of that Jesus loves them and we do too. Edge of Eternity. This stage is up here right now. Things are coming together, as you can see, for Lakeside's most active traditional. Greatest opportunity for reaching souls for Jesus Christ. Edge of eternity, a heaven to gain, a hell to shun. But these are events, church events. The most wonderful, the most effective outreach is still relational evangelism, one-on-one soul winning one on one soul
1: winning
0: Jesus compared one on one soul winning with what Jesus compared evangelism with what fishing remember Jesus said I want to make you fishers of men remember that This past summer, I had a great opportunity of fishing with my son, who flew in from California, and uh, he was catching bass, I mean, one right after another. Your pastor, how many did he catch? Zilch. Nada! (laughs) Nothing! It was frustrating, and uh, and I kept changing lures, and I said, you stinking lure. son leaned over and he said dad dad it has nothing to do with the lures it has everything to do with how you're fishing which one of the sectors, so many areas in the church today, so few are soul winners, ineffective in being a witness for Jesus Christ. The last survey out of 100 Christians, only five are said to have ever shared their faith. What is the greatest obstacle for Christians in sharing their faith or being a witness for Jesus Christ? Some are saying fear. Some say it's lack of Bible knowledge. Some say it, it, it's it's uh, the lack of expertise or experience. I, 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 we're getting red hot now. Uh, I've got a picture I want. I think it's because too many Christians are like this picture. Too many Christians are like this picture. Let's show a picture up here. You got a picture? The pastor the sound booth. Pastor the tech booth. Do you have the picture? There we go. When my daughter decided to dress up my grandson's in animal outfits, she didn't choose a tiger. She didn't choose a bear, a teddy bear. What animal did my my lovely daughter choose to dress up my dear grandson's like? As little what skunks? She dressed up by little Logan as a skunk, my little Jack as a skunk. And they're crying in that picture, you can see it. I submit to you that one of the greatest hindrances for Christians in sharing their witness, or being a witness, because it's more important being a witness than actually doing witnessing. I, I submit to you, I'm convinced that our greatest difference is our stinky personalities. How we relate to people. How we relate to you. you take that picture off? Now they won't be able to watch. Won't, they won't be able to take it off now. Yet Jesus had no problem with people liking him. Except for the religious leaders, Jesus was attractive to people. And not just uh, the smart, smug, and sophisticated, Jesus was known as the friend of sinners, the Bible says. The outcasts, the untouchables. When Jesus is able to be Jesus in you and mine. You and me. We're able to draw people to us, not because of who we are, but because of whose we are. John chapter 12, if there's any verse I'd make my main text this morning, would be John chapter 12, verse 21. They came to Philip, a disciple of Jesus who was from Bethesda in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, We would like to see who? Jesus. There's a world out there today that that desperately is hurting. A, A world that is hungry. A world that is thirsty. For something that money and things will never satisfy. And inwardly, unconsciously, they are saying, we want to see Jesus. want to see Jesus. How can Jesus be Jesus in you and me? Back to fishing again. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 4. Jesus said, follow me. Follow me. Act like me. Do what I do in both my attitudes and my actions. If you will be like me, if you will follow me in my attitudes and my actions, I will make you fishers of men. I will position you to make an eternal difference. I will position you to change the lives of other people so that you can make the eternal difference in others. Just follow me in my actions, in my attitudes. and I will make you fishers. This morning, I gave that lengthy intro this morning because I I want you to bear down and focus on Jesus-style living. There's all kinds of lifestyles out there today, but as for me and my house, we choose Jesus-style living. Will you? Father, we ask and pray this morning that we'll discover the action. And the attitudes, the personality of Jesus. Lord, we don't want our personality to repel people, but to attract people to Jesus. In your name we pray this. Amen and amen. If you have a study guide, follow along with me this morning. Jesus-style living, you see, is joyful living. Joyful living. Hey, what kind of people do you want to hang out with? What kind of people do you enjoy being with? What kind of people? Tell me. (laughs) Happy people, positive people, upbeat, uplifting people. Yes. It's never a profound psychodomatic answer, is it? But simply, I like being around people that are happy. Sure. And sadly, we're the most unhappy generation of all time. We live in a culture where there are more therapists per capita than any other nation on the planet. We pop more pills. We pop more pills for our down-of-the-dumps feelings than any other culture in all human history. And that spirit of unhappiness, sad to say tragically, has invaded the church. How is it? Why is it? So many in the church today are ineffective And being witnesses, ambassadors, representatives for Jesus because of their stinky, negative, down in the dumps, sour puss spirituality and personalities. Sure. How many times, how many times, how many times? Have you had people at the restaurant, at the bank, where you do business, start off by saying, Hi, how are you doing today? How do you answer? You know, some people, some people answer by saying, Well, I got a backache here. I, I I'm I'm bothered by migraines and and I'm having a hard time paying my bills. My car's in the shop, and I think I might be losing my job. <laughs> hey, <laughs> I don't want to lift me your problems. <laughs> how do you answer people when they tomorrow morning they're gonna ask you, "Hi, how you doing? How was your weekend? How's it going?" How do you respond? Are you controlled by your circumstances? or by who you are and whose you are in Christ Jesus. Terry Denmark right now is struggling, pray for Terry, with shingles. Shingles, terrible, terrible. His son has had life-threatening surgery. That Terry uh, right now is picking up his wife Beth in North Carolina as we speak. Yet, Wait, I don't care. I don't care. I don't care what the problem is, the issue, the vicissitude that he is walking through. When you ask Terry, Terry, how's it going? Terry will respond with, "You met him too, <laughs> Dan Brohan." I'll tell you, it, it can be the worst day on the planet. But when you run into Dan Brohan, how's it going, Dan? I'll call him on the phone. Fantastic. My favorite word is excellent. You'll hear me say it, excellent. Now, I, I don't subscribe to all the positive thinking gurus out there. I'm not into the hyper faith theology of name it, claim it, confess it, possess it, blab it, grab it.
1: <laughs>
0: well, there'd be a Cadillac in every Christian's garage. But there is something about what you speak, what you confess. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks as a man thinks. So he is. God's word is clear on that. What is coming out of your mouth? When people greet me, where I do business, when I deal with merchants, when I deal with the world, when I deal with you, I want you to hear not a litany of problems and negativity and sourpuss spirituality. I want to hear, I want you to hear excellent. Why? Because God's on the throne and everything's going to be all right. Up to him against that day, the Bible says. You know, some some imagine Jesus as being some kind of mystical, sober, spiritually stoic, Mr. Spock. That's not what we read in the Bible. The Bible says about Jesus, Luke 10, 21. The Bible says Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit. John 15, 11. Jesus said, these things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be half full. No, he offers us, he promises us a full tank. Hallelujah. I want a full tank of of, of joy. Bible also stresses something else about joy that you need to be aware of. Too many of you have been waiting for joyful circumstances in order to be joyful. And you're still waiting. I learned a deep, profound, spiritual insight. Not from cemetery, I mean seminary,
1: but from my wife.
0: I remember when the kids were driving her one day insane. I mean, little Julie was pulling down the drapes. I mean, literally pulling down the drapes. Jonathan was throwing food at Julie. That was a big food fight. Uh, and then Jenny was still probably a baby in arms. And Becky is going insane. I mean, my heart, as I watched my daughter with those two uh, you know, little grandsons of mine that are in the 98 percentile of height and weight. I mean, the other day she was sleeping, and one came up with a giant ladle and just whacked her right <laughs> over the head with it. I I mean, it's like living with two insane individuals. <laughs> my heart goes out to young mothers. It really does, and. Becky was losing her mind. She's yelling at Julie. She's yelling at, at John. She's yelling at Jenny. And then one of you called on the, on the phone, and Becky picked that up and went, Hello. <laughs> Isn't God <that> good? <laughs> I discovered at that point that joy is a choice. Joy is a choice. You have the ability be controlled by your circumstances, or controlled by the fact that the Lord Jesus is your Savior, King of kings, Lord of lords, and he's coming back one day for you, and God's on the throne, and everything's all right, amen, Amen. hallelujah, for the joy of the Lord is your strength, amen, Paul said this, Paul taught this in Philippians 4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always, and I say it again, Rejoice. The next time, the next time, the next time somebody asks you, how are you doing? Be a witness for Jesus. And let them know, I'm doing great. Life is wonderful. Excellent. Fantastic. Marvelous. about my Jesus it's an open door that I've used time and time again to share my faith why do you make it why do we make it so hard and so difficult secondly write it down Jesus style living is caring for others caring for others really caring not a put up really care that's why we do the big gives That's why we do the gas station outreach. Yes. You see, Christians often have a public relations problem with the world. Oh, yes, the world thinks we're bigoted. The world thinks we're intolerant. The world thinks we're prejudicial. The world thinks that we're condemning. And the world, many times, thinks that we're, come on, let's face it. Being a soul winner doesn't mean plastering the back end of your Buick with Jesus bumper stickers. (laughs) And driving 90 miles an hour down Shader Road, and you got the bumper sticker that says Christians aren't perfect, just forgive (laughs) them. Help us. God. Being a witness for Jesus is not going to work or going to school with such a huge 90-pound Bible. You need wheels on it like you do your suitcase going to the airport. Being a witness for Jesus Christ being a soul winner doesn't mean putting so many Christian paraphernalia on your desk at work. It's been designated as a holy shrine by the Catholic Church. being a Christian is not talking in Christianese. <laughs> what am I talking about? I, I was standing in the checkout lane at Kroger's not long ago, and, and I'm waiting there to pay, and all of a sudden, I felt this index finger jabbing back into my shoulder blade. And I turned around, and I saw the tallest, skinniest, He had to be nine feet tall, weighed 55 pounds. This guy, and he had this huge grin. And he looked down at me and he said, Have you been washed in the blood of a lamb? I'm a pastor, and it freaked me out. i the Your stinky person, your negativity, your fearfulness, your gossip, attitudes and actions that smack of being self-centered. We're called to always live Jesus, care for people, help people, do something about their needs. That's what Jesus would do. Jesus. Jesus took a little boy's lunch and he fed the multitudes. Why? It was their need. Jesus took a towel and he washed the disciples' feet, their dirty, smelly feet. Why? It was their need. Jesus took a cross. He died upon it. Why? Because it was your need and my need the only thing that has made us right with God. Find a need and fill it in the name of Jesus. Needs exist all around us. You've got a neighbor that's just been diagnosed with cancer. Living all alone. You can mow their lawn. You can take them to a doctor visit. You can bring them a bowl of soup. There's something that you can do. Needs exist all around us. There's hurting people on our right and their left that are looking for you to speak a comforting word into a discouraged heart. Matthew 9, 36, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. You know, your ministry doesn't have to be spectacular. It's just allowing Jesus to be Jesus in you. You know, I'm amazed. I'll go out, I'll go out to lunch with ministers. And I'm shocked, sad to say, how rude they can be to waitresses. I don't care how bad the meal is. Please, thank you. I appreciate you. You did a good job. Will you let Jesus. Be Jesus in you. Will you remember people's names? Will you use their name? Will you ask them, how are you doing? How's it going? Make it a great day. Have a great week. Pastor, I don't have that kind of personality. I don't have a charismatic, charming personality. That's, that's not my background. You, Pastor, you understand, I'm German. Well, So am I. <laughs>
1: this has nothing
0: to do about your nationality, your background, or your personality. It has everything to do with your choice to let Jesus be Jesus in you. People don't want to see you anyway. This has nothing to do with being a charismatic, charming personality. It has everything to do with uplifting Jesus in your words, uplifting Jesus in your attitudes, uplifting Jesus in your actions. Be nice, courteous, be caring. Take a meal to a family their kids for them, uh, or just drop by and listen to somebody. Real care is being compassionate and kind and understanding. Real care builds a bridge across which Jesus can enter into a hurting heart. Real care allows Jesus to be Jesus in you. Write it down if you would. Jesus-style living is being known as an encourager. An encourager. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5, 11, therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you are doing. An encourager is someone who compliments rather than flatters. Flattery has the motivation of manipulation. But when I compliment, I'm I'm looking for something good. Uh, I'm looking for a strength. There's something you can compliment with everybody and anybody. I I even talk to people about their smiles. You know, you have a great smile. There's something you can find in everybody to build them up uh, in. Yes. Being an encourager is giving them faith. Instead of their fears, there are so many that are, are, are walking around and uh, what, what's going to happen with Syria? What, what's going to happen with the national debt? What's going to happen with, with, with Obamacare? What's going to happen? I'll tell you what's going to happen. Jesus is coming back. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He's coming back. That's your choice. For I've overcome the world. I've overcome the world. Hallelujah. Encouragement. Says I'm with you. I believe you. Encouragement is when you look beyond the actualities. And see the potentialities. Jesus came across a rough. Cursing. Filthy. Sinful fisherman. And this sinful fisherman said, as he bowed down before Jesus, leave this place. Get away from me, because I'm a sinner. Jesus lifted him up. It's in the Bible. And said, thou art Simon, but thou shalt be called Peter. And upon this rock I will build my church. Hallelujah. Jesus saw the reality, the actuality, but he also saw the potentiality. The whole Bible reveals that. Jesus ran into a woman at lunchtime. The disciples took off, but Jesus sat down with a woman that nobody would sit down with. Not only was she a half-breed Samaritan, not only was she a woman, she was a woman of ill reproof, She said, how do you know about me? He said, I I know that you've been married to five husbands. And the man that you're living with right now is not your husband. I know that you've been looking for love in all the wrong places. And you keep coming up empty. And this water in this well will not satisfy you. But I have something from which you'll never be thirsty. You'll always be satisfied she changed in that moment through his attitude, through his words through the life that he offered he saw the actuality, he saw the woman that she was, he saw the realities but he also saw the potentialities and as her life was changed through the divine love of Jesus Christ the Bible says that she won her entire city for Jesus Christ, the greatest evangelism in the Bible Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Don't see people where they're at. Don't judge and condemn them for the way they look, the way they dress, the way they talk, the way they appear. Meet them where they're at and then lift them up for the name of Jesus where they can be in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hallelujah. That's being an encourager. That's being a people person. That's being other-centered instead of self-centered. Rocky Barra. Rocky Barra, young Italian man that would show up every Sunday at Parkdale Assembly of God. He'd been won through VBS, then start coming to Sunday school. Parents never came to church. He came all by himself. He walked from the suburb, the subdivision that the church was located at in Livonia and just sit in the pew. Became very talented as a singer, guitar player, but never ever accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Came to his young adult years, and he was enamored with Elvis Presley, and he became a lounge singer, a lounge act. Played the bars, the lounges of Plymouth, Livonia, Cabin, where I grew up on the west side, Yet coming to church. Drove a brand new Monte Carlo every, every year. I remember that. And then one morning, one morning, one morning at in Canton, Michigan Connection Church, one of our biggest churches in the Assemblies of God. All because somebody cared. My dad saw the actualities, but also saw the potentialities. Thou art Simon, but thou shalt be called Peter the Rock. That's what encouragement can do. We live in a world that's desperate for Because there's so much criticism and and so much condemnation and and so many cut-downs. And I'm convinced the greatest toxic site, the greatest toxic site on the planet is not some waste dump (coughs) located in China somewhere. I'm, I'm determined that the greatest toxic site are many of our homes, where toxic tongues spew forth, slander, cursing, cut-downs, denigrating, demeaning words. Kind of like a gal's poem that I heard not long ago. He didn't like the casserole. He didn't like my cake. My biscuits were too hard, not like his mother used to make. I didn't perk the coffee right. He didn't like the stew. I didn't mend his socks the way his mother used to do. I pondered for an answer as I was looking for a clue. So I turned around, and I smacked him just like his mother used to do. I like that. People are hungry for encouragement. Better off to be an encourager than to get smacked. Because <laughs> when you're in the presence of an encourager, you feel better about yourself, your circumstances, your future. When you encourage others for the glory of God, broken hearts are mended, souls are saved. And Jesus is being <laughs> Jesus in you. If you'll determine to be an encourager to everyone around you, watch how. Jesus will draw them to you. And most especially, draw them to him. Lastly, write it down. If you desire desire Jesus-style living, you must be a grace giver. A grace giver. They dragged her as she fought them for all she was worth. They didn't drag her to a prison. They dragged her right smack dab in the middle of a congregation. As Pastor Jesus was trying to teach. They said, teacher, that woman, we caught her in the very act of adultery. I always want I heard it took two. Now the law of Moses states that she should be stoned to death. What do you say? They could care less about the woman. They could care less about the law of Moses. They're trying to test and trap Jesus. Jesus knew that if he stoned her, he'd be in trouble with the Roman government. Only the Roman government could enforce capital punishment. But if he didn't obey the law of Moses, he'd lose favor with the people. Catch 22, what will Jesus do? He began writing in the dirt. And he stood up and looked at him. He said, he who is without sin, let him back down to write. I believe he was writing their sins down. And one by one, they dropped their stones and walked away. The woman, I'm convinced of this, is now shaking and trembling because she senses that she's in the presence of one who is without sin, who is utterly holy, who has the right to cast the first stone. Jesus said, Woman, where are your accusers? No one accuses me, Lord. Then neither do I. Go and sin no more. Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Grace, grace, amazing grace. Our world is desperate to be forgiven. Listen, people are not animals who have no consciences. People are not demons who have no hope. People are eternal souls. And inwardly, we want to be forgiven. Inwardly, we want to have a clean slate. Inwardly, we want to know that we're right with God. With him on Judgment Day, forgiveness, grace giving doesn't condone the sin. It, it forgives. It releases the sinner. Colossians three thirteen. Paul said, "Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you." You know what's like to be forgiven. You know what's like to be forgiven. Becky and I were driving through Rochester Hills recently, and I, I said, "Hey, you remember a few years ago? A few years ago when we went, I talked to you into kayaking down the Clinton River from uh, Avon and Livernoy down to Yates Cider Mill. And uh, don't, don't, don't think that the river there is like the river in Sterling Heights. It's no lazy river. I mean, there's some Class Three, Class Four type rapids uh, uh, there. And, and uh, yet." Your, your pastor's wife. I can talk her in any way. She, she is the best, best mate that any husband, sh- I mean, she's <laughs> kept up with me. Anybody goes on vacation with me takes their life in their hands. <laughs> they, they really do. And, and she says, what are we going to go down the river with? I said, kayaks. What kind of inflatable kayaks? Well, what if they get punctured? I said, trust me. They won't get punctured. Julie, Jenny and Jonathan joined us. They had one kayak. Becky and I had another kayak, both inflatables. Uh, I mean, we hadn't gone a quarter of a mile, and Jenny and Jonathan had already punctured theirs. And, and, and they're, they're, they're floating in water, I mean, real water. And, and uh, then Becky and I, we got about three quarters of the way, and all of a sudden, pfft,
1: <laughs>
0: Becky is sitting in this cold water. I said, just hold on! And uh, she came back and she said, You said that they would not get punked. You said that trust. I said, I'm sorry. And you forgive me. She said, I forgive you. Oh, what a great wife. Yeah. We need forgiveness. And, and, and I, find, I find that if there's any dimension in living that needs more forgiveness than any other dimension of living, and that's the family, let's be more specific marriage marriage. Jeremy and Kara, you, you guys did so well a couple of weeks ago up here on the marriage altar. And, and I watched this over and over with, with young couples. They're standing here so pretty. It's such a beautiful wedding. And they're smiling. and She looks so lovely. He looks so handsome. And they're repeating the exchange in their vows. And, and, and they're for richer or for poor? I do. Sickness and in hell? I do.
1: Better or for
0: worse? I do. It's going all over their heads. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea what they're getting into.
1: <laughs> Probably
0: the number one thing I run into in post marital counseling is this whole business of assumed expectations. She's got it in her head that she's marrying a provider that will give her financial security for the rest of her life. She's got it in her head that she's marrying someone that is going to hang on her every word. (laughs) Listen to every nuance and pick up every tone of her voice, and understand her, and and all of her needs, and and wants, and and have total, advanced, accurate level empathy with her. (laughs) And every night, they're going to sit in front of the fire, and just just cuddle, nothing more, nothing more. Just cuddle. He's expecting that she's going to cook for him, she's going to wash the dishes, clean the house, mother his children for him, and make the bedroom come alive every night. I'm just
1: being honest with
0: you. Is it okay to be honest? Some of you super spiritual people (laughs) up there. when you get these two high expectation, when you get these two high expectation people and you bring them together under one roof, what do you got? You've got two ticks and a dog. Now let's put it this way. You've got two kicks and no dog. Because when a kick has a dog. A ticket is just taking, taking, taking and giving nothing in return. We don't have just one tick. we've got here, we've got two ticks and no look, look, look! Two people just taking, taking, expecting, expecting to take and take and take. We've got the formula for disaster. Listen, honey, listen, sir, you haven't married the perfect person. And they haven't either. I know it's is a newsflash. There is only one. There is only one that was meant to satisfy you completely. And your mate isn't the one. That one is Jesus. And he desperately loves you. Has your mate hurt you? Has your mate said something, done something that you have resented? Oh, you're saying there's quite a few things. Write them all down. Yeah, I counsel you. This is group counseling right now. I want you to write down. Get a piece of paper. Okay, get a book. (laughs) Write it all down. that has hurt you. Now look at it. Meditate on it. Don't meditate too long. Now I want you to think of all the things that the lover of your soul has forgiven you from. Has set you free from Has said, I will forgive. I will forgive. I will forgive, and I will forget, and I will forbear, and forbear, and forbear. (laughs) Think of all the things he's forgiven you from. Now go to your name and forgive them in the name of Jesus, or ask them for forgiveness. Reconcile, and seal it with a kiss. Make it a good kiss. On street corners, I've done all of that. But the best is one-on-one relational soul-winning, being a witness, letting people see Jesus, be Jesus in you. As Cindy comes to the keyboard this morning, I ask you: Are people seeing the joy of Jesus? Are people seeing a caring Christ within you? Are people hearing words of encouragement from your life and their life? Are people being forgiven as Jesus forgives them through you? How about it? Will you sign up for Jesus-style living? Pray with me this morning. Father, in the name of Jesus. Lord, we thank you for laughter. We thank you for love. We thank you for life. And Lord, you want to use us as your outstretched hands to forgive, to encourage, to care, to bring joy to others, Jesus' joy. Lord, I want to be that person. Help us to be that person. Help us to let Jesus be Jesus in us. Heads are bowed. Eyes are closed this morning. This message has been mainly to Christians. But how about? I want you to know that even though perhaps we haven't met, I I might not even know you. I know right now that God, through his Holy Spirit, is knocking upon your heart's door. The Lord desperately loves you. We love you here this morning. I'm not asking you to join this church, but I, I do want you to encounter Jesus. Is it about time you say yes to Jesus? You're here this morning and you're not sure you're right with God. You're not sure you have a home in heaven and you want to be sure. I'm going to pray a prayer. We call it the prayer of salvation. A prayer that can make you right with God. If you would like to be included in this prayer, would you... Show your faith just by lifting up a hand. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If you want to be included in this prayer, just lift up your hand right now. It's a sign of your faith. Lift it up right now so that I can see it. God bless you. God bless you. God sees that hand. How many more? Lift it up for Jesus. Don't be left out. God bless you. God bless you. See that hand. Yes, God bless you. Yes. God bless you. How many more? Lifting it up for Jesus. I want to be included in that prayer. God bless you. I see that hand. Yes. I want to be right with God. I want to go to heaven. I want to go to heaven. Keep those hands lifted up. I'm going to pray this prayer, but I'm not going to pray it alone. I want you to pray it with me. I want everyone to pray this prayer out loud. If you have your hand lifted up, I want you to own this prayer. Put your heart into it. Are you ready? Dear Jesus, I come to you right now. And I confess, I am a sinner. But Jesus, you're my Savior. I believe you gave your life. For me. I believe. You rose from the dead. With resurrection life. I want that life Jesus. A new life. A changed life. Thank you Jesus. For hearing me. For cleansing me. For giving me a home in heaven. New life. I thank you Jesus. That I am saved. In the name of Jesus, I pray this. Amen.